I, I think about what are the words I would say? What legacy do I want to leave my kids and my grandkids? And you remember Sidewalk Prophets had that song, The Words I Would Say. It encapsulates how I feel. It goes like this. Three in the morning and I'm still awake. So I picked up a pen and a page and I started writing just what I'd say if we were face to face. I'd tell you just what you mean to me. Tell you these simple things. Be strong in the Lord. Never give up hope. You're going to do great things. I already know. God's got his hand on you, so don't live life in fear. Forgive and forget, but don't forget why you're here. Take your time and pray. Thank God for each day. His love will find a way. These are the words I would say. We've been looking at the words Paul would say to Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy. It's Paul's last will and testament to his beloved son. And last week we looked at six principles of motivation revealed in that, the greeting, the first part of chapter one. Authority, altruism, appreciation, affection, appeal, and affirmation. And ever since VBS, Doug has been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, going through the Beatitudes in his Keepers of the Kingdom series. But this week we're going to look at Paul's be attitudes. The first words Paul would say to Timothy. So let's start in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to continue where we left off at verse 6. <clears throat> right. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. I'm going to stop right there and we'll just read through each section as we go. But that, the words there, for this reason, it refers back to verse 5, the, the verse just before that, talking about Timothy's sincere faith that produced his faithful service. And at the heart of his faithful service is ministering his gift unreservedly for the Lord. And in this section, Paul reminds him to kindle afresh his gift. And that word kindle usually refers to stoking a fire, to bring the embers back up to full flame again. But in this case, Paul is not saying that somehow Timothy's gift had gone out or was weak. But instead, he's calling Timothy to vigorously and continuously use that gift. It says the laying on of his hands is, is a reference to uh, the recognition of the gift by Paul and the church. It's not the cause of the gift. If you have any questions, just talk to Doug about that. <laughs> Do you know what your gift is? If you don't, there's a variety of spiritual gift inventories online that you can check out and find out and discover your gift. But I think for most of us, uh, we already have kind of an inclination of what God has gifted us with. You've heard me talk about my wife. She's an encourager. My daughter has gifted with organization. You saw the results in VBS. My son-in-law, David, is worship leader and also an elder. 
I have the gift of helps. I like to help people do things and get things fixed. But I also have the gift of preaching. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm using my gift. I'm fanning it into flame. Uh, our gifts are to be used vigorously, courageously for the common good. And then he goes on in this section. He says, to use that gift, not timidly, but to use it in power, love, and discipline. In other words, be strong and courageous. That's the first beatitude. Be strong and courageous. Walk in the Spirit. And um, before Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, God spoke to him to encourage him, to motivate him for the task ahead. Three times in the beginning of the book of Joshua, God tells him to be strong and courageous. Let's turn to Joshua 1.9. Just before he goes into the, king, into the promised land, this is what God says to, to Joshua. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In other words, it says, be strong and courageous. Don't be timid, for I will be with you wherever you go. Use your gift vigorously and continuously. You know, we've all been given a gift, amen? I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about those gifts. 1 Corinthians 12. And starting with verse 4. It says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You know, there's a variety of, of, of uh, gifts. There's a variety of ministries, a variety of effects. God works all of those together for the common good in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within us. When we fan into flame our gift of the Holy Spirit, we need to walk in the Spirit, using our gift with the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in our ministry. Galatians 5, 16 and 25 says it this way. Sixteen. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But... If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, which I, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So be strong and courageous, but also walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, and we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Walk with the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life. All of the fruit, all of them together. It's one thing. It's not different. You get to pick and choose. You get them all. The fruit of the Spirit comes as a package deal. But it starts with love. Love that is able to conquer contempt and opposition by forgiveness and refusal to seek revenge. And with discipline, self-control, literally a wise head, making correct choices according to God's guidance. We need to walk in the Spirit, being daily filled with the Spirit's power, love, and discipline. And Timothy needed power to fulfill his arduous task, love to suffer gladly all the opposition and discipline to correct and warn the wayward and careless. I love a song by Andrew Ripp that says, it's called Fill My Cup. And in that he says, fill my cup, Lord, fill my cup. Run it over. I like that part. Run it over. I don't want just a little bit. I want it to be run over. And that means to allow the Holy Spirit to overflow our lives, to drench our lives and spill out on others. Amen? When we come and we walk in the Spirit, we need the Spirit to infuse us, to give us power. Be strong and courageous. Minister your gift vigorously and continually and walk in the Spirit. Amen? That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. That's the first beatitude. The second beatitude back in 2 Timothy starts in verse 8. Therefore... Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And first of all, he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me imprisonment. He was waiting to die in a Roman prison. He was just shortly away from execution and people had abandoned them. When this book was written in A.D. 66, being a Christian had consequences. Paul was awaiting execution, and there was a universal criticism of the belief. There was a great misunderstanding about Christianity. There was animosity and rejection. Sounds a little bit like today. And he says, to join with me in suffering for the Lord. And later in the book, if you turn just to uh, verse, uh, chapter 3... Uh, Verse 12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hey, that's nothing new, right? Remember Doug's uh, series on on 1 Peter? And in that, he talked a lot about suffering. He talked a lot about the fact that when we stand courageously for the Lord, there's going to be some results. And one of those results is suffering. So Paul is saying, join with me that suffering is more a privilege than a sacrifice, more a blessing than an ordeal. Let me share a testimony from the Wycliffe Bible translators that talks about suffering in the world today. 
When it comes to the Bible translation, it's fascinating to see how God works in the hearts of people to launch new projects in untouched communities. Maria's story is a beautiful example. She was the first person in the village of Manga, Brazil, to choose Jesus as her Lord and Savior. Quickly, she became a, uh, became a prayer warrior on behalf of her husband, Claudio, hoping that he too would experience the power of God's goodness in his own life. For 20 years, Maria prayed and prayed. Claudio wouldn't budge until Maria fell ill. And at that point, Claudio recognized, he said, he found himself crying out to God to save her. As Maria was mercifully restored to full health, Claudio recognized that it was Jesus who healed her, and he made a decision then and there to follow Christ. Soon after, he started a house church, which was frowned upon by most of the people of his community. He was persecuted for his faith and actions. He began receiving death threats, and he lost his job because of his faith. But a fire burned in Claudio's heart to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. He would not be stopped. Today, Pastor Claudio is playing an integral role in translating the New Testament into Karapuna, his heart language. Considered to be an expert in the language, he's sought out by other people, native Bible translators, when questions arise. And he's a constant encouragement to the rest of the team. As of this writing, 40% of the Karapuna New Testament has been completed, and we praise the Lord for a lone believer who fervently prayed for her husband's salvation and for a man who was not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and was willing to suffer for Jesus. Paul says, join with me in suffering for the gospel. And then back in verse 9 and 10, in the, in the first chapter, it says this, Who has saved us and called us with a call, holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You know, this, this whole thing, Paul is reminding Timothy, remember your calling, remember your salvation. And he gives a brief synopsis in these verses of the doctrine of salvation. God sovereignly designed salvation. He sovereignly initiates, sustains, and completes your salvation. He has forgiven us, justified us, and has delivered us from sin and Satan. Amen. Amen from death and hell, in every sense and in every tense, past, present, and future, God is our Savior. This is the gospel. Those, those two verses, the doctrine of salvation in a nutshell. And he says, remember those things. That's your calling. That's what you base your life on. You have to remember that. And later on in this chapter, he's going to remind Timothy to rest in the assurance, in the security of that salvation. And then he goes on in verse 11 and 12. For I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things. But I 
am not ashamed. He goes back to that same idea of not being ashamed and suffering. He says, I am an example. I was called to be an apostle, to preach and to teach. But because of that calling, I have suffered greatly. And he was not ashamed. How much had he suffered? Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. And it says this, this is Paul speaking. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so. He was refuting some other people who were trying to, to, to give their authority over Paul's. But he says, I think I'm crazy in doing this, but let me tell you how much authority I have. I have gone through all of this stuff. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, Often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A, di- a night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Talk about suffering. It shows the breadth of Paul's suffering for the Lord. Paul had more than his fair share. Amen? Faithful ministry in the Lord's service is always bittersweet. It brings suffering and joy. It brings disappointment and gratitude. Johnny Erickson had this to say about suffering. We live in a society that doesn't know what to do with suffering. We do everything we can think of to escape it. We medicate it, mask it, surgically remove it, drug it, institutionalize it, divorce it, or even euthanize it. Anything but live with it. Years ago, when Mary Beth was diagnosed with lupus, we prayed that she'd be miraculously healed. But God led us to read a book entitled Embrace the Wolf. Lupus is a word that means wolf. As a result of its testimony and God's insight, we found the grace to accept suffering as from the Lord and still find joy in spite of the circumstances. Mary Beth always says, God is in control. He knows what's best. We just need to trust him. In spite of any suffering we might endure, our lives are in Jesus' hands, safe and secure. Let's go back to 2 Timothy. The last part of verse 12. He says starting in the second section of verse 12. For I know whom I have believed 
And I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I've entrusted to him until that day. Paul says to trust your eternal security. Trust God with everything. First of all, he says, I know. I know whom I have believed. That verb is in the perfect tense. And that means that it's something that began in the past, but it will continue on and on and on. Whom refers to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. Amen. He is able to guard what he has entrusted. His salvation and his life, even in the midst of suffering. Another great passage that talks about uh, who shall separate us from the love of God. Romans 8, starting in verse 35. Goes like this. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are all being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everybody say, Amen. Amen. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. We are more than conquerors. Amen? We can have joy in the midst of that suffering. We are eternally secure in Christ's salvation. God is in control. He knows what is best. We just need to trust Him. Be not ashamed. Be ready to suffer. That's the second beatitude. And going back to the text, let's move on to verses 13 and 14. And this beatitude, uh, let, let me read it to you. It says this, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. I've entitled this beatitude, Be an SOB. And by that I mean a student of the Bible. Right? Hopefully you're going to remember that over all the other. Anyway, be a student of the Bible. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. You know, we all know Paul was inspired by God to write most of the New Testament. God's word is our standard. We're living in the end times when many, many people do not hold to God's standard. If we belong to Christ, we will be secure. But if we neglect his word, our confidence in that security will waver. Sound doctrine leads to sound living. Chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, verse 16 says, 
all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Amen? You want to be adequate, equipped for every good word? Put the Word of God in your heart. Put the Word of God into your life every day. And 2 Timothy uh, 2.15 says it this way. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We're to study the word of God diligently to show that we can handle the word properly so that we will be approved by God. Be a student of the Bible. And finally, Ephesians 4 says this about studying and knowing the word of God. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Not to be children. We need to grow up. Take this word and put it into our lives all the time so that we can accurately tell the difference between truth and error. Amen? Amen. We need to have discernment. And the only way you get this is by putting this in here. You've got to put it in there every day. And in addition, that section said we're to speak the truth in love. Sometimes we can become too judgmental when we have all that word in us. And we start looking at things and saying, no, 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 you're not right. You're not right. You're not. That's not what God wants us to do with all of that knowledge. He wants us to use it to speak the truth in love. Our knowledge of Scripture, we're not to be judgmental. We need to have the right kind of attitude of kindness and compassion toward unbelievers and toward poorly taught and immature believers. And Paul concludes by commanding Timothy to guard this knowledge through the Spirit. We've all been indwelt with the Holy Spirit who empowers us for service and he teaches us things from the Word. My wife and I were talking about this on the way here, that, that you've got to have the Word inside you for the Holy Spirit to bring it out and teach you. Amen? Well, I'm sure God could do it without that. Because he's God. But it's a whole lot easier if you already put it in there. Amen? Amen? So we need to put it in. And we need to allow God's Holy Spirit to uh, empower us. We are allowing God's Spirit to help us make wise choices about our daily living. Ephesians 5.18 says that we are to be being filled with the Holy Spirit every day. We need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to teach you and to guide you in everyday choices, everything that you go through. Be an SOB, a student of the Bible. Amen? And then I think the final beatitude that I see in this 
section of uh, 2 Timothy. Starts in verse 15 through 18. <coughs> and, it, and it says this. Um, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know how well what services he rendered to us at Ephesus. All through this chapter, Paul has been concerned about people being ashamed of the gospel and ashamed of his imprisonment. And now he talks about three specific fellow workers. Two were ashamed of him and the gospel, and one proved himself worthy. All three of them worked side by side with Paul in ministry. We know nothing of Vigilus and Hermogenes except that they turned away from him in Asia. To be rejected by the world is not pleasant, but it is to be expected. Amen? But to be deserted by fellow workers, people that you see all the time, people that you go to church with all the time, to be deserted by them is particularly painful. And it seems that they, they, those two were fellow workers who had turned their backs on Paul when he was put into prison. They were unwilling to give Paul any support because he had been imprisoned and they were ashamed of him. Now, I originally thought about uh, choosing your friends wisely as, as the idea of these verses. And so 1 Corinthians 15.33 says that bad company corrupts good morals. Amen? Amen. And, and the company we keep does have an effect on our lives. You as parents... You really want to know who your kids are with, don't you? You want to make sure they hang out with the right kind of people because they can be corrupted. And so it's important for us to, to know what's going on. Who are they with? Good relationships with other believers is essential for successful ministry. But anyway, going back to be giving... That's really the, what, what I felt was the, the crux of this section. The one who proved worthy was Onesiphorus. And he often refreshed Paul. He was not ashamed of his chains. He eagerly sought him out to help him in Rome. Paul reminds Timothy of how helpful he was to them while they were in Ephesus. So this was a long-term relationship with Onesiphorus. Paul prays for him to receive mercy. Onesiphorus was willing to give of his time, his talent, and his treasure. And we need to be more like him. Looking for opportunities to give to those in ministry. To find a need and fill it. He was not ashamed of the gospel or Paul in prison awaiting the death sentence. How are you doing in this area of giving? How are you giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure? Are you at least tithing? How many missionaries do you help support? Have you found a place of ministry in this church? Outside the church? 
Are you thinking more of the needs of others than yourself? See, that's what giving is all about. Thinking more of others' needs than your own. And so Paul says, be giving, be giving. Jesus said it too. Let's take a look at Matthew 25. Matthew 25, 31 through 40. Talking about the judgment in this section. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked. And you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Are we giving? Jesus says that when we give to the needs of the marginalized people of society, we are giving to the Lord. Yesterday, Manny and I went to... Uh, and picked up some boxes of food for the Riverside City Mission. And we went around Moreno Valley delivering boxes of food to the elderly, to the sick, to the poor. And, and every time we got there, they were so happy to see us. And uh, we'd ask them, can we pray for you about something? And we'd get a chance to pray. Uh, the first person we were there, Manny, uh, he was a Spanish speaker, so Manny just took over and and, and did a great prayer. And the guy, he just lit up. He was so happy to, to receive, not just the food, but the prayer, the touch of God in his life. Are you giving? We need to find ways to give back to the Lord, as Jesus would have us do. There's a variety of ways for you to give. You just need to choose one and start where you are. Amen. Don't try and do it all. Just choose one and do what you can. Be willing to give. Amen? Amen. So in conclusion, Paul's Beatitudes, the qualities of ministry that Paul is trying to motivate in Timothy's life and our lives, begins with a call to be strong and courageous. 
He urges Timothy to vigorously use his gift through the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, being filled daily with the Spirit. He tells him to not be ashamed, but be ready to suffer for Christ. He says, remember your calling, your salvation. Trust in your security in Jesus. Thirdly, he says to be an SOB, student of the Bible. Thank you for remembering that. Finally, be willing to give in a variety of ways to meet the needs of ministry. We're to live our lives in holiness, looking out for others in love. Be willing to give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's last words to Timothy. We thank you, Lord, for this section. We thank you for the other sections. Lord, we thank you that, that you want us to be more like you. And you give us all of these uh, helps, Lord, to be able to know how to do it, practical ways of becoming more like you. So, Father God, I pray that, that uh, by your spirit, Lord, you would superintend all of the things that have been said, Lord, and place it in our hearts as you will by the power of your Holy Spirit. We give you praise for it all. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you.